Well, good morning. Good morning. It's great to welcome, uh, to be here and uh, worship our King, Jesus, on this uh, Palm Sunday. And if we've not met today, my name is Ken, um, whether you're online or you're here in, in, in person. And now some of you, um, you know, would think I am the pastor here, but I'm actually the worship leader. And I know you're thinking, no, no, Ken, we've heard you sing. Uh, Jeremy's actually the worship leader. And officially, uh, that's right, Jeremy's title is worship leader. But that's because in our culture, we compartmentalize worship to be just songs on, on, on Sunday morning. But really, worship, biblically, is a way of living according to God's word. So it's much broader, much more than just music. If you gave an offering today, or when you do give an offering today, that is worship. If you're serving in one of our ministries, like hospitality or, or with children's uh, or first impressions, that is worship. If you're having a gospel conversation, there's been a few. James had one with his friend the other day, and I know Jasmine had one with her sister, and, and there's been different gospel conversations. That is worship. Um, if you love your kids and you discipline them to help them grow to be loving, productive human beings through his word, that is worship. Um, if you take care of your bodies, that can be worship. If you, if you work hard in your occupation or at school, that can be worship. If you make love to your husband or your wife last night, that is worship. Um, uh, you may be thinking, Pastor Ken, you've just gone too far. But remember, I said all of life can be and should be worship. You know, the first time the word worship is presented in the Bible, it's in the book of Genesis in chapter 22, verse 5. And and that's where Abraham took his son to sacrifice him based on God's instruction. And um, he said to his son, come, let us worship the Lord. Now, um, so first and foremost... Worship is obeying God. Now, to put all the teens uh, at ease today in church, um, uh, your parents, when they say, I'm going to kill you, that's not worship, okay? Um, (laughs) That's a crime. Um, uh, uh, Abraham never sacrificed a child uh, because that's against who God really is. Uh, God was just testing Abraham to teach him about giving our best in obedience to worship because the other cultures around Abraham were practicing child sacrifice to worship their gods. And God was teaching Abraham he was not to be like the pagans, that that actually God would make the sacrifice for him and for us, which is a, a picture of the gospel. That whole story is a picture of the gospel, that God makes the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. Now, even though worship, the word worship didn't show up to Genesis 22, the, the, the concept or uh, the history of, of, of the world uh, being, was, was there without that word from the creation of man. Uh, God first gave Adam a, a, a job of naming the animals, which was worship as he obeyed God. And then God saw the man needed help, so he gave him a wife. And when Adam saw his wife for the first time, we have our first recorded praise song. This is now bone of my bone, and this is flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Men, if, if we worship God, we, we should always praise him for our wives because he gave them to us. 
God told man to cleave to her, which means to stick by her, to, to stay close. And, and God said to, uh, that they were blessed and that they should be fruitful and multiply. And that's why I can say that making love to your husband or wife is worshiping God. It, it's being obedient to what God said to do. So as a husband and wife, uh, go do that. But the only reason not to do it biblically is because you're choosing to worship God in another way, because all of life is worship, and you choose to worship God in another way by mutual agreement. Now, if you're sleeping with somebody that's not your wife or your husband, you're not worshiping. No matter how much you cry, oh God, you're not worshiping. You're actually disobeying God's design for life. This is an example of why I say that every sin problem we have in life is actually a worship problem. Sin entered the world when Satan deceived man to worship a created thing himself as God or to worship the woman Adam chose to sin with his, his wife who was made by God. So we're, we're, when, we, when, we, when we go to something created, it's a worship problem. The Bible says that Satan is a subtle creature. He de- deceived them to worship the wrong thing in life. Today, if you're unmarried and you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you are worshiping their bodies or your feelings. You're not worshiping God. You're ultimately saying that that your actions and your feelings of love are more important than what God says. Today, why I'm saying I am the worship leader is I'm giving you God's word. God's word is what leads everything we do at Crosswinds. Whoever's preaching God's word here at Crosswinds is, is truly the worship leader. You know, we're fortunate to have um, Kim coming back and, and Jason to preach here in, in May. And all the songs and all the graphics and all the lights will be picked to correlate with their messages because worshiping ultimately is obeying the word of God and it all needs to fit in that way. You may think, well, why is that important? Because our subtle enemy has corrupted our thinking that worship is only music. And many who may like the music and they're here worshiping, they may just come once a week for the music, but then they don't obey God. You're you're not really worshiping. You're just grooving to music. True worship is repenting and believing God at his word. Today, we're doing things a little bit differently on Palm Sunday. Normally, we do three songs, a message, and then one song. But today, we're doing one song, preaching God's word, and then three songs. And that may seem odd, but what we're doing is we're prioritizing God's word right at the beginning of the service. So God's word can prepare us to worship him. Singing, friends, is obedience to his word. His word says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among the people. Psalm 96, 1 through 3. So today, if you just stand here and you don't sing when Jeremy leads us in song, you're not worshiping. You're actually disobeying God. And if your reason is you don't think you sing well, well, you can join me, but um, or maybe you don't like the style of music or maybe you're just saying, I'm just not feeling it today. 
what you're really worshiping is your own opinion or your feelings or your fears as God and not God. Because God's word says, sing praises to me. Three times in that verse, he commands us to sing to him. I'm telling you this because God knows what's best for us. And it is to praise him with all of our life. Because that's what he made us for. The Westminster Confession of Faith says this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our lives are more enjoyable when we worship him by giving to him and all that we do, not just here on Sunday morning, but through all of life. I said all of life is worship. God says that in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all that you do to the glory of God. Don't you feel better in life when you celebrate things? Don't you? You know, when you celebrate the gift of your wife or your husband because God gave them to me, you, that's worship. That's celebrating life. That, that reminds me of a joke. There was this Catholic priest who, who loved God very much, and he diligently studied his word, and, and, and he died, and he, he went to heaven. And the first thing he wanted to do was to study God's word in the library, uh, uh, in the original text. And after just a few hours of study, there was this great groaning that started in the library, and you heard him cry out, oh, it was celebrate, not celibate. I told you, Satan is a subtle creature. He does that by taking the celebration out of our lives, by making them religious duty instead. True worship is to celebrate the life that God has given you. Beloved, that's why we don't do solemn and sad music here at Crosswinds. We, we sing upbeat songs to celebrate the goodness of God to us. And that's why we also have these beautiful lights and colors and images because we seek to celebrate here the life that God has given us. Think of church as a wedding. It's a, it's a time of celebration. Your, your worship leaders like Jeremy and I are just the DJs trying to create an atmosphere so that you can celebrate God. We need to get the room pumping. As worship leaders, we are not the ones to watch. You're the dancers who are here to enthusiastically celebrate God. We are all to joyfully perform to an audience of one. In the church, we need to break this audience mentality because it's not worship to watch others perform. God wants to look down and see all his children rock in the house. He does. He wants to see us joyful and, and, and enjoying and celebrate him. Yes, dance for God. It's appropriate. Read your Bible. Get Footloose. That movie was a lie. Subtle lie. Read his word. Worship includes dance. And come on Friday and uh, on Good Friday and as we go to the Catholic Church and teach them that as, as we do expressive worship with Rena and our, our, our other volunteers that are going to do that, a lot of our youth, um, it's going to be great. The, the, the message today is titled, It's Time to Celebrate. Or the rocks will. Beloved, listening to a sermon is worship. So open your Bibles and let's start worshiping as we learn about the first Palm Sunday 
Now the text says, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. That's in Luke chapter 19, verse 28. That's where we'll be today. Well, worship is obeying God's word. So we, we need to look at what Jesus had been saying, right? So first there was this religious guy. And, or he wasn't so religious. He was about a, uh, around a bunch of religious people, and they all thought he was a big sinner. His name was Zacchaeus, and there was a celebration goes, going through his town, and, and Jesus was passing through, and the crowd was thick, and, and Zacchaeus was just a wee little man, so he climbed up into a sycamore tree, 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 to see what he could see, see, see. Now, I don't have a stutter. I just can't get that song out of my head. Um, what, what Jesus sees is a man everybody considers to be the worst sinner in town with a great desire to worship him. He, he, he didn't care what people thought of his worship. He climbed a tree for all to see, 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 totally exposing his need for God. And, and Jesus says to him, come down to that tree, 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 and let's party at your house, dude. And Mr. Z says, you know, that he is worshiping him. He says, half my money I give to the poor. He demonstrates repentance of his sin, saying, if I have cheated anyone, I will pay them back four times. And then Jesus says something even more amazing. He says, today has salvation come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. See, Abraham was a man of faith who believed God at his word by faith. He didn't believe in God and give God lip service like many were in the crowd. Abraham was known as a man who believed God about God's goodness to him. So God saved Abraham even though he was a sinner. And and Jesus says to Mr. Z, salvation has come to his house because Jesus saw his true worship of him. Now, there's also... A, a, a crowd to see Jesus that day. But Jesus did not proclaim salvation over the crowd just on the one truly worshiping great sinner who turned to him in obedience. Friends, worship is not about obeying a crowd. Satan's subtle trick to us is that we must celebrate and that we must worship things that have a big crowd. Mr. Z could care less about the crowd. He, he just wanted to see, see, see Jesus. People of our world often only celebrate where there's a big crowd, where there's duh bulls or duh bears or duh hawks or duh cubs. Well, duh, if you only get excited when you're worked up by a crowd, are you worshiping Jesus or what's popular? Celebrities, sport teams, those can all be false idols we worship if we get more excited about them than the things of God. Ask yourself, are you just as enthusiastic in church during worship as you are watching your favorite sport teams or TV shows? What about your recreational activities? I once attended a hot yoga class, and I was shocked at the crowd of people bigger than in this room. They're enduring 90-degree heat for 90 minutes with um, some skinny girl rebuking us the whole time, preaching false, trite religious statements at us. We paid for that torture. And, and, and some complain if my sermon goes too long in a temperature-controlled room. I've never gone 90 minutes. 
So what do we really worship? People do that seven, eight days, or I guess seven days a week. They're worshiping something false. Jesus tells us a story about a nobleman next uh, who went to a far country to receive his kingdom and he gave all his servants a great gift, uh, about 10 months of wages. I mean, that's be cool if you're boss did that. And he, he, he tells them to do business. And, and instead of praising him while he's away, they send word that they, they don't want him to rule over them anymore. But after he receives his kingdom, he comes back to see what they have done with the valuable gift of life and grace that they were given, even though they had rejected his rule. And all he wanted to see was if they had simply gained with the gift that he had given. And the first servant had used his gift of life to the glory of his masters by being grateful with the gift and increasing it 10 times. And the master is so joyful, he does not take back that as profit, but instead he praises the servant and gives him more. The master honors him with being the ruler of 10 cities. And then another servant is grateful for the gift of life that that the, the king had given him. And he glorifies him by giving him uh, five cities to uh, well, he increased the, his investment by five. And so the, 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 the good king gives him five cities to rule over. And then, then he comes to another servant, and his attitudes and actions are much different towards this king. Uh, he doesn't celebrate the master or his goodness to him. He does not obey his words and, and do business. Instead, he um, slanders his master. He says, hey, boss man, here's what you gave me. I give it back to you. I don't value it. I I keep it in a napkin. Biblically, the word napkin is insulting. He has kept this valuable thing, 10 months of wages, and something that you wipe your sweat with or you put your boogers in. Actually, in the Greek, this napkin can mean a cloth where you wrap a dead person's head in. And then he says to his good master, I know who you are. You're a cruel man. You're taking deposits, taking what I did not deposit and and reaping what I did not sow. And, And basically what he's doing is he's calling this good master who had entrusted him with great wealth a cheat and a thief. The servant had been given more than he asked for, more than he ever deserved as a servant. And, and when he says this back to the master, still the master does not destroy him, but says, you know, if you believed all that about me, why don't you at least take that valuable gift that I gave you to the bank and make yourself some interest? But the servant and, and other servants like him still do not recognize their master's kindness to them. And they don't praise him. And so finally the master says, take the gift that I have given you Give it or give it to them and give it to the, the ones that increase their gift by 10. And then Jesus tells his audience the truth. If you don't praise God for what he has given you, it will be taken away and, and given to those who do praise me for my goodness to them. And then finally in the parable, it says, the king says, take those servants out, everyone who is like him and does not accept my authority and, and praise me and slaughter them before me. See, they're enemies of the king's goodness. 
And then Jesus, his life becomes the object lesson of what he just taught in this parable. When we call that Palm Sunday. It says this, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where you are entering and you will find a colt tied, which no one has ever sat and untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And they were untying the colt and its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And he said, because the Lord has need of it. Now, now think about how ridiculous this is that Jesus is asking if he's only just a man. It'd be like if I asked one of you, hey, go to this guy's house on such and such street and you'll find a brand new car with the keys in it. Start it. And when the owner comes out to question you, just say, hey, Pastor Ken needs it. It's a guy you've never met. Do you think he's going to be okay with that? But, but the disciples have so much trust in the goodness of their master. They know that this is going to be okay. And they obey and they, they go do this. They do the instruction of their rabbi to the letter. Even the whole, the whole situation doesn't make sense. But they trust in the words of their master. They are in what they're doing. They're worshiping Jesus. You know, the, the, the story of Palm Sunday starts as a bright spot in all of the scriptures where God's creation actually does what they're supposed to do. Trust Jesus at his word. And because Jesus is God, he knows exactly what will happen, that everything will work out. And, and some of the Bible commentators think that Jesus prearranged all this, which it could be true. But the most important thing about this text is these men and women actually worshipped him by trusting him at his word. And I think it's also, though, an example, the way I look at it, of Jesus being God and knowing the things we don't know because he's sovereign over all things and he knows the future and we can trust his word because he knows how everything will turn out. And so when he says something that doesn't make sense, we can trust him. See, Jesus would have known the heart of the man who owned the cult. And he knows when the man hears that God has need of it, he won't be selfish realizing that everything he has comes from God and belongs to God anyways. And when we worship by giving at church, it's doing the same thing. We are trusting God to do good with whatever we give him. We are realizing that every good thing we have comes from him and that we are giving back to him, not at a loss like the servants thought in the parable, but when we give to him, trusting in his goodness, he gives us even more than what we can imagine in return. Now, a cult would be a valuable thing in the first century. And, and these guys could have said, hey, let's just take off. Let's make a profit here. Yeah, that's the ticket. But instead, they worshiped Jesus and they brought this good fortune that they had experienced to Jesus because there's no such thing as fortune, only the goodness and sovereignty of God. And, and they, they brought it to Jesus and they're throwing their cloaks on the cult, and they set Jesus on it. 
And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And they brought this good thing back to their master and treated him like a king. They, they celebrated him. They celebrated his goodness. They set him on this colt that no one had ever ridden previously. A, a colt or an animal that had never been ridden was considered sacred to the Jews. You know, the ride that Jesus chose demonstrates his humility and goodness. He, he didn't choose a, a war horse like other kings to show his might against his enemies that have clearly rebelled and, and trying to show power. He's just like the king in the parable that, that comes back to his servants in kindness and love. He comes to his disciples who, who have often failed to obey him. But here, in this one shining moment in the scriptures that just feels so right, they give Jesus the honor he deserves, but he never demands. As God He has come in a humble posture of peace towards his creation. He treats the creation that has rebelled against him and his rule with kindness and with respect, healing them, teaching them, teaching them of God's goodness, calming their fears. And all the while, many that should have accepted his kindness have rejected him. These ordinary men and women in his company at this moment recognize his benevolence and they honor him and they praise him. They, they throw their cloaks on the street. They throw something down on the ground for a barn animal to walk on. They, they, they are showing their great king honor. For in the first century, a, a, a cloak was something of great value to them. A cloak could cost between three days labor or 200 days labor based on its quality. And some of his followers would have been wealthy, and, and, but most were, were working class. And, you know, I want you to think right now, what is three days wages to you? And are, are you willing to trust in giving that to him to honor him? For real worship is to trust him with things of value to us, not to just tip God. There are some that say they come to worship him and they never give an offering. Are they worshiping? Or are they really trusting? Are, are, are they really trusting in the goodness of their king? You know, they may say in their minds, I don't I just don't trust the church. But the church is just a vehicle like that donkey that Jesus and his message can ride in on so that he can be honored. You don't give to the church. You give to honor him when you worship. The the, the disciples were not doing this extravagant thing for the donkey, were they? They were doing it for him. The, The donkey's motives were right. He was doing it for him. 
He, he recognized his creator riding on him in this colt that no one had ever ridden on, didn't buck, didn't get frightened by the crowd. He, he obeyed and kept his head down and did his job. Jesus comes to the holy city in joy and peace as a king, getting the full honor that is due him finally. You know, on that same mountain, another great king of the people left King David in defeat and weeping and shame because of his sin. Our king now is coming in joy to defeat David's and our sin. And his disciples shout loudly because they're not embarrassed by being considered overzealous for this great king. You know, sometimes I get sad when I go to sporting events because I see all the people in those places getting loud and silly and reckless in their affections for people that they don't even know playing a game. And yet most of the time in church, we want to be proper and we are embarrassed by what others might think. So we don't give the same honor to our good king that we know loves us because he gave his life for us. And on on this day, Jesus truly did get his honor for his kindness and mercy to his people. They praised him with enthusiasm. Do, Do you come to worship praising loudly, being grateful for all the good things he has done for you? Or do you come here complaining, hoping he will do something good for you? Friends, if you're still breathing, he has done something good for you. If, if, if you have food in your belly, he has done something good for you. If you have people who support you and, and care about you, he has done something good for you. If you drove here in a temperature-controlled car today, he has done something good for you better than most people in the world. If you have a bed to sleep in, he has done something good for you. He came to serve you. And, and, and Scripture says he accepted less than the good he has done for you. While he was here. Worship is fundamentally gratitude for his for his undeserved. We don't deserve this. His undeserved goodness towards you. And we celebrate that. If you can't celebrate him today, then you're more like the wicked servant handing him back his mina and a booger napkin. Yet even still, he is saying to you because he loves you. Do good with what I gave you. Friends, gratitude is not just an emotion we turn on when we feel like it. Gratitude is worship. It's a choice. Choosing to obey what is right and good and freely given to us by a God who has been gracious to us. You know, you're deceived no matter how rich you are if you think you're self-made. For his goodness formed you from dust. Often rich, the richest among us are the most grumbly because of the false belief that they are rich because of luck or because of fortune or their abilities alone. If you're rich, praise him because he has made you that way. If you are poor, praise him, honor him with what you have because he has allowed you to learn gratitude in your heart to recognize the gift that has been given to you. Saying poor me is blasphemy in the presence of God. For we are blessed with immeasurable, immeasurable riches in him. 
according to his word. And if we obey his word, we must be joyful. On this spectacular day where all was right, not everyone was praising our good king. The religious people reject him. His own people reject him. They have more information about his goodness than anybody else in history. And they are like that wicked servant. They are angry and they are suspicious and they are accusing Jesus of doing wrong. To them, to honor him is blasphemy. They boldly tell our good king what to do. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to them, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Their hearts are not ruled by God. They are ruled by themselves. They're thinking, it's not right. You're going to cause trouble and embarrass us with the Romans. They're, They're secretly jealous that the attention is now off of them. The the religious put on fancy cloaks to cover the fact that they were made from dust too. And and they don't want to shame themselves now by taking them off to worship this humble king. Now, if you think it's improper to celebrate Jesus with enthusiasm and all of life, that it's only okay to just have a little religion and do that on Sunday morning and stay controlled and don't upset the social apple cart and do anything improper, then then listen to what Jesus had to say. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And while these people that are religiously minded are thinking, we are the only good ones, and we're not like this riffraff, this uncontrolled riffraff that's here. We follow the rules. We wear the right costume. We honor our leaders at the synagogue. We, we take care of our families. We know more about God than these ordinary, uneducated fishermen. Jesus, rebuke the riffraff. Jesus let them know the true scriptural reality that his cousin John once preached to the religious. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. See, God is looking for worshipers who have faith and joy in his goodness and mercy towards them. And and if you won't be like that towards him, you're replaceable. No matter what you count on as your value because of your status or your birth or your denomination or your heritage or your proper behavior. The wise move for the wicked, for the wicked servant, is to take your cloak of pride off and start praising me, is what Jesus is saying, for my goodness to you. For you are just dust. And I have been kind in giving you life, the gift of life, I've told you what Jesus did before Palm Sunday and how he was honored by his disciple. Let's let's see what happens next. And and when he drew near to the city, he, he wept over it, 
saying, would that you, even you, had known this day the things that would make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come when you, your enemies will set up barricades around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and, and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is weeping over his enemies. Those wicked servants that had rejected his goodness. And he's giving them every chance to recognize his love for them, even after they have rejected him and scolded him. He is weeping because he knows the answer is so simple for them to just humble themselves and come before him and worship him. But because of the arrogance of the people, they refuse. Jesus is sovereign. He he knows that a judgment is coming. And he cries out for those who have treated him so wickedly. Jesus wants to give them more than they can ever imagine. They just need to end the rebellion in their hearts and turn and worship him. Jesus knows those great stones of their great temple will have movement. Some of these stones are 45 feet long and 12 feet high in the temple, 15 feet deep. And yet they will obey his sovereign plan and they will be moved. But the people he loves stubbornly will not move. And so they will be destroyed. And history tells us that that's a fact that this happened. But still, our good king does not condemn them himself. Instead, he goes and inherits his kingdom. He allows the religious to condemn him. And he lets them hide and let the Romans do their dirty work for them so they don't have to take their cloaks off and expose their true filth. And our merciful king will soon hang bleeding and yet praying, Father, forgive them for they... Know not what they do. And then in love, he will mercifully give up his life for us. He, he takes on our shame and our sin, our wickedness on his own body. And he lets us, the wicked servants, go free. He, he, he proved that he had inherited his kingdom by coming back from a distant country of death. And then he commands a stone, an inanimate object to move. And it, it worships him. It moves by rolling away. And he walks out alive forever. And he promises to all who believe in the goodness of the king that they will be forgiven and they will be given life in joy with him forever. See, the temple's destruction is a warning to the wicked servant that refuses his gift. That there's another judgment coming. Today, let him take away your stony heart and let him give you a new heart of flesh that you might praise him, that you may give him honor for his great love for you. He will give you more than whatever you can dream. He will make you a living stone in his new temple where our good king will abide in you and with you forever. Today, Turn and worship him unashamedly. Turn from your sin. Turn from your pride. 
Because he has defeated it for you. He has dealt with it for you. Turn from it. Let it go. Be what you were created to be, a worshiper of our good king. And enjoy joy and gladness forevermore. Let us pray. Oh, Jesus, you are so good. Father, may we take what you've given us and multiply it. Father, if there's anybody here that's been holding back and has not turned to you and not come to you with abandon and said, I, I'm yours, Jesus. I worship you with all of my life. If there's anybody here that has not come to know your salvation, like Zacchaeus, who jumped up in the tree, 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 and, 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 and declared his love for you. Father, if there's anybody here that has not done that, Father, may they do that today as we worship you. Father, we're going to sing many songs to you right now. And Father, anytime somebody feels that they need to come and make a, 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 a claim to you, Lord, let them come and, 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 and declare their love to you. Father, let us worship you with abandon today. Let us, let us give you due praise because you have come to town. Let your Holy Spirit rest in this place, Father. Father, with the people online in their homes right now, may they stand up, may they raise their hands, and may they sing out with the band. Father, let your people do what is right and good, which is to worship you with all of their lives. Father, we praise you for your goodness to us in sending us your son who loved us and died for us. And we honor the name of Jesus today. Amen. I'll be here to pray with you if you have a decision you'd like to make, if you want to declare your love. Come. Why don't you stand? I, I, I do have to catch a plane, so as soon as I walk out, the deacons are going to be up here. We're going to keep singing, and, and you can come to them and pray. Give Jesus this dude today. Sing loudly. Sing boldly. Sing Hosanna. He's your king.